So we just finished the book of Ruth, uh, like I said, this beautiful story of God's loving kindness, uh, a love story, really, uh, but not the kind that you see in the movies, right? If you've walked uh, with us through the four chapters of Ruth over the past five weeks, you've seen how this love story between Ruth and Boaz is really a picture of God's love for us. Right? On display in every scene uh, in this story is the idea of loving kindness or loyal love or promise-keeping love. Sometimes I call it love that won't let go. Right, And we saw Ruth display that kind of love. We saw Boaz display that kind of love. We saw Naomi display that kind of love. And ultimately, God display that kind of love to his people. All those are just uh, attempts, like that kind of definition of loving kindness. They're just attempts at translating a Hebrew word in the Bible that really has no perfect English translation. And I've mentioned it before, but it's this word hesed, right? And this word shows up in the Old Testament hundreds of times. It describes the love that God has for his people, but it also describes the love that his people should have toward him and toward one another. Right, we saw Hesed move in all these directions uh, in the book of Ruth, right? And like I just said, from Ruth to Naomi, from Boaz to Ruth, and just kind of swirling all around. And so I thought it'd be good to take this sermon to just cap off that entire Ruth story by diving deeper into this word that just showed up in every chapter, Hesed, right? The Hesed of God, the loving kindness of God, the grace of God. Right? And you'll hear us talk a lot about how God is the initiator in loving us, right? and how our worship and love is actually a response to God's love for us. Right? In fact, that's beautifully on display in Psalm 136, which we had as our call to worship this morning. Leanna read it. Um, we read it because it reminds us that God is gracious to us. Right? It primes us to respond in heart-filled worship as we remember that. Right? The word has said actually shows up in that psalm 26 times. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love, his has said, endures forever. Right? He alone does great wonders. His has said endures forever. He made the heavens skillfully. His has said endures forever. He spread the land on the waters. His faithful love endures forever. Right? And God himself in other parts of scripture, he describes himself this way, this characteristic as being just intrinsic to who he is. And so what is God's kindness, right? What makes God's kindness different from our kindness? I've preached a similar sermon on this, and and I use this illustration of this pay-it-forward chain uh, at Starbucks where each customer, one after another on this particular day, kept paying for the next customer's drink, and all the employees were so excited, right? The chain extended to 378 customers, each paying it forward, one another's drink. As the close of the day approached, the employees were so inspired and just filled with joy about it, they were going to put the last gift on a gift card and give it to the people, uh, who the first customer who showed up the next day. Right? And as uh, 6 p.m. rolled around, uh, customer 379 came up, ordered his drink, took it, and left. Right, Just took the free drink. Right, Cut the chain off. Right? And, and, and it's easy to judge that guy. But I'm, I started thinking, you know, after thinking about this story for a while, I started thinking maybe he just needed a free one that day. Right? Maybe it was just like, hey, 
Someone's looking out for me. I needed this today, but 378 customers is a huge streak for a random act of kindness like that. Uh, and there's a reason why we love these stories, why these stories make the news, right? We love them because they give us hope, right? They show us grace in what seems like a graceless world, right? Where people just can't get along for anything. And then you have these folks who don't even know who they're giving to, and they're just willing to give to the next person. Now, this is a cute example of grace, right? No one earned their coffee. People freely gave out of kindness, and that's what grace is. It's unearned, right? Unearned favor, unearned, like an unearned gift, right? And a lot of us would be happy to participate in something like that. Uh, but when you think about it, like what if the person behind you on that day had cut, had cut you off, right, on your way into the parking lot? What if they had flipped you off, right, cussed you out? screamed at you from their window, right? And then they end up behind you in the drive-through, drive right? And that pay-it-forward chain is going on. Are you going to pay it forward to them? Right? What if that's a person in, in the line who broke up your family, right? Who, who assaulted somebody that you love? Are you going to pay it forward to them, right? How long do you think these chains would last if we really knew the people who were behind us? See, the pay-it-forward chain is a picture of unearned favor, but it's not a complete picture of grace, right? It gives us a glimpse of grace, but it's not a complete picture of grace. See, God's grace isn't less than that, but he gives us, uh, he gives us what, what we could never earn, right? But it's much more, right? Because God's grace isn't just for the undeserving. God's grace is also for the ill-deserving, Right? And it's not given with limited knowledge. Like, I'd have no idea who this is behind me, but I'm just going to give them, you know, money for this coffee. God gives with full knowledge. He knows exactly who we are when he gives to us. And he's intentional about it. Right? Not just for a neutral bystander, but for a rebel. Right? And we're going to see the magnitude of his grace today as we work our way through the text, asking the questions who is God and what has he done? Who are we in light of that truth? And how then should we live? Right, we're going to ask, who is God and what has he done? Who are we in light of that truth? And how then should we live? Those three questions, if you're ever reading the Bible, if you just start with those three questions, you're, you'll be in good shape. Like they're pretty universal. You can put that anywhere in scripture. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of what he's done? And, and how's he calling me to live? Right? And so God's grace is packed with detail and implication. But for this sermon, I've tried to just boil it down to a simple definition that we can work with uh, this morning. And that's God's grace is his favor given freely to those who reject him and don't deserve it. God's grace is his favor given freely to those who reject him and don't deserve it. And by favor, I just mean the standard definition with connotations of approval, benevolence, kindness beyond what's earned. And so let's look at the graciousness of God. Let's look at Psalm 145, verse 8, the one that I just read, and see what the psalmist has to say about the character of God. And you're going to hear this over and over in this sermon, so just prepare yourself. You'll have this memorized by the time this sermon is over. The Lord is gracious and merciful, 
slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And so God is gracious and merciful. God gives when it's neither merited nor deserved. In fact, every time he gives, that's how he gives, because as the creator of the universe, he doesn't owe anything to anybody, right? That's just who he is. And if we go back all the way to the beginning of the Bible, if we go back to Genesis 1, where God creates this beautiful world that's teeming with life, right, and and beauty, where there was once just formless and void earth, right? He creates this beautiful space. And he creates male and female where there was once just dust, right? And he gives them some of his authority. He delegates some authority to them. He tells them, rule over the world, multiply and cultivate this this beauty, right? That they've done nothing to create. God created it. I mean, that's the ultimate pay it forward, right? God is the originator of paying it forward. It starts with him. Right? And when humanity rebels against God and chooses uh, the promise of death rather than the promise of life, right? Adam and Eve, the fruit, the one tree, right? When they do that, that plunges the world into sin. And so they throw, basically, if we're thinking about that drive through metaphor, they're throwing the free coffee in the buyer's face, right? And God promised them that if they were to eat that fruit, there would be death. But does he Does he kill them? No, he doesn't. He doesn't give them immediate death, which was the consequence for eating that fruit. He bestows a lesser sentence, as some judges do. And when when judges do that, we, we call that mercy, right? When we get a lesser sentence than our crime requires, we call that mercy. The Lord is merciful. And God is there when that happens, as they're naked and it's about to get cold, right? He's there with new clothes, and he clothes them as they venture out into this harsh world that they chose. And he promises in Genesis 3.15 that he's already got a plan to restore what we threw away, right? That's grace. That's mercy. God gives to the ill-deserving right? And he withholds harsh judgment where judgment is due. In fact, this is one of the Bible's favorite ways to describe God and one of God's favorite ways to describe himself, right? This description, it shows up a number of times in the Bible. God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, right? In his grace, God is slow to anger, right? He's not flying off the handle, did anybody, and you don't have to raise your hand, but grow up in just an angry household or a volatile household where you didn't know what thing was going to set somebody off, right? Or, or work in a place with a boss who just comes in and it's just the smallest thing is going to set them off, right? Right? The smallest thing could set fire to the whole place. God is not like that. Right? God is slow to anger even when he has the right to be angry, right? God stays his anger for our benefit. He's gracious, and there's no other reason, right? We're the beneficiaries of God's patience. In 2 Peter 3, 9, Peter writes, God is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. In Romans 2, 4, Paul writes, God is seeking our repentance through his kindness. 
God is slow to anger, the psalmist says. He's abounding in steadfast love, right? This immovable love, this enduring love, this covenant love. In fact, steadfast love, that word has said, right, even in English, steadfast love, it's so tied to the character of God that if you were to Google it, you'd have a hard time finding it used to describe anybody but God, right? This relentless love that only God really has that characterizes who he is, relentless love that pursues, that sacrifices, right? Not only does God have it, but, but he abounds with it. Right? He's full of this love. And uh, a 19th century preacher Charles Spurgeon writes, What an ocean there must be since the infinite God is full of it. Right? If God abounds in steadfast love, what an ocean there must be since he's infinite and he's filled with it. Amen. So who is God? Right? Our first question. He is gracious and merciful. He's slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He's the originator of grace, mercy, patience, and love. And if we forget this, right, if we miss this, then we default to believing that we serve a merciless God, right? And we can become anxious performers, right, working to earn God's favor, right, staving off some sort of perceived anger, trying to just keep ourselves out of the anger of God by being good. Jesus gives us one of the most vivid illustrations of God's grace uh, when we look at the story of the prodigal son in Luke 15. If you're not familiar with the story, there is a father, right, and he has two sons, and the youngest son tells his father that he wants to cash in his inheritance, He's essentially saying to his dad, I I wish that you were dead. Give me your money. I'm out of here, right? Give me what I would, would inherit once you're dead. Just give it to me now so that I can go off and live my life. And the father says, okay. And the son leaves with his money and he spends it all. He ends up in a famine struck land. He ends up feeding pigs for cash and even so hungry that he decides to eat pig food, right? Finally, he comes to his senses saying he'd rather work for his dad, not even be a son, but just be a laborer for his dad than do what he's doing now because his dad is gracious to his workers. His dad feeds them good food. Right? When he comes back, he, he has this you know, speech prepared, you know, just not to even become a son to the dad, but just to even be uh, uh, whatever the dad would let him be, right? He comes back to his father, he, and his father runs to him. Before he even gets there, runs to him and kisses him. And the son says, I sinned against you. I'm not worthy to be your son. And the father answers by giving him the family ring, by bringing him a nice robe, right? He declares a household feast. He says to use their most extravagant food for this son, right, who took his inheritance, left, squandered it, and now has come crawling back. He doesn't even scold him. There's no, I was right, you were wrong. See, this was an unwise decision. You should have listened to me. He's met with grace, mercy, patience, and a never giving up love. God's forgiveness is like that. God loves you like that. He loves us like that. Now, and that's all well and good if we're the ones being forgiven, right? That's good news for us. But the truest test 
of how we feel about God's grace, it doesn't come necessarily when it's being given to us. It also comes when it's being given to others. Right? See, there's another brother in this story, and he's mad. He's mad about all of this. He, he refuses to join the celebration. This is what he says to his dad in Luke 15, verse 29. Look, these many years I have served you, and I never disobeyed your command, yet you never even gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed the fattened calf for him. Right? You killed the best. You gave him the best food. You wouldn't even give me this minuscule goat. You've killed this thing that's reserved for a party, right? For this guy. Right? Grace is shocking. Right? Grace is paying it forward to your enemy. Grace is paying it forward to one who's stolen from you. And that ticks people off, especially people who misunderstand the character of God. Right? If, if you've been doing a song and dance for God, if you've been slaving away to get his approval and his love, right? you're not worshiping the God of the Bible. Right? And you'll be mad. You'll be mad when you see that those who don't do as much as you, those who aren't as faithful as you, yet have this relationship with him, when those people... Right? When those people receive his grace, you'll be mad. Because deep down, we think we've earned something. Right? And that's just not the case. Here's what the dad tells him in verse 31. Son, you are always with me, and all that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad for this. Your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. Right? Grace is shocking. But God is forgiving, right? That's part of his character. That's who he is. Right? And so when you think about your serving God, right, your Christian service, does it feel joyless to you? Right? Do you feel the pressure to perform? Do you, do you feel like this is something that you have to do for God to love you? Right? Even being kind to others. Sometimes you can be kind to others because you feel like if I'm not kind right? Then, then, then that's going to be a thing where God doesn't love me anymore, right? I need to earn God's love through kindness, right? I'm scoring points with the big guy upstairs. You know, that's what I've heard before. You know, like, oh, gotta keep score points with the big guy upstairs. I'm very generous because I want God to love me, right? That's the reverse of the motivation God wants us to have because he's already been generous with us, Right? Another test is, do you gravitate to conversations about the shortcomings of others? Right? Do you gravitate to conversations about the shortcomings of others? Are you worried you don't measure up? Right? What are you trying to prove to God, to others, to yourself? Just let this truth seep in. Truly saturate yourself with this truth. He is gracious to you and to whoever it is you think doesn't measure up. He is merciful to you and to that person. He is slow to anger to you and to the person you're quick to anger with. He's abounding in steadfast love. Right? Believe in this God and rest. Rest in this God. Right? Rest in who he is. Right? We can drop the facade. 
We can shed our anger. We can shed our anxiety because our God is gracious, right? And he's bigger and better than all that. We can cast all those things aside because God has filled us with something better. Right? Colossians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul is writing this to the Christians at Colossae. He says, See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him, who is the head of all rule and authority. And so God has filled us. If you are a believer, God has filled us in Christ. Just as Christ is fully God, we are fully complete in him. God has given you everything that you need in Christ. Christ has achieved what you cannot. He's pleased God where we've failed. He's lived that perfect and righteous life. He is the better older brother in the story. Right? Instead of complaining to the father, right, he went out with his uh, own inheritance. Right, He used his own inheritance to go out and bring the prodigal child home and to serve him food at his table in celebration with the father. Right? If anybody had a reason to say, why would we show grace to this person? It would be Jesus. Right, Jesus is the only one with the claim to say, why should these people have a relationship with the father? Right? But unlike the complaining older brother, he goes out with the riches of heaven, right? And he gives it all up for us. Right? On the cross, he took the penalty that we often try to avoid. Right? He took the shame that we anxiously try to cover. He identified with us the whole way, setting his rights aside as God and passing to us the privilege of son, child, God is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. And this is what he's done for us, right? He's filled us in Christ, Christ who is head over all rule and authority, right? There's no one higher, right? And you have his love. You have his love. And so in verse 8, he's saying, why go somewhere else? Right? Why go somewhere else? He's telling us, Paul is telling us not to be captive by philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition because we don't need those things. Right? Christ has filled us. Right? We don't need to even hybridize our spirituality, right? whether it be with our own efforts or with the incorporation of anything that's not according to Christ. Right? We don't need to pray to other celestial beings or, or knock on wood or all these other things. Right, We don't need to work out our car- karma right? because God has worked out our salvation. Right? We don't need to stress over horoscopes or planetary alignments because we are full in Christ. Right? This is who we are. Right? Those who have faith in Jesus are in Christ. Colossians 2.13, And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven all your trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. He set aside This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. 
right? We who were dead are alive together with him, right? We who were trespassers have been forgiven. We who had debt against us are now debt-free because he paid it all, right? This is the grace of God in action, The grace of God is powerful enough to change us. And for the believer, this means a change in identity, right? And a change in our trajectory, right? We're in Christ, right? But that also means that we will be with Christ. He was raised to eternal life. We will be raised to eternal life. He's beloved by the Father, so we are beloved by the Father. He is righteous, so we are righteous, He's the son of God, and we have become children of God through him, right? We live from his identity and this identity that he has graciously given us. And so when you think about being in that identity, when you even just think about yourself, how would you answer this question? Do you believe that God is pleased with you? Right? When you think about it, do you believe that God is? is pleased with you. Just take a second to even think about that. Like what comes up in your soul when you say the words, God is pleased with me. Do you feel like that's true? Like there are times in my life when if I say God is pleased with me, the first thing that comes to mind are all the reasons that he shouldn't be. Right? I mean, he knows our every thought. He knows everything we've ever done. He knows everything uh, you've said under your breath while you're trying to navigate the the supermarket, right? (laughs) Everything. In Matthew uh, 3, 16 to 17, Jesus' baptism, it says, When Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on on him. And this is what I want you to hear right here in verse 17. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Right? So we're in Christ, right? If we're brothers and sisters, right? If we are children of God, we are in Christ. And these words are for us too. Right? This is my beloved child with whom I am well pleased. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we've refrained from doing, but because of who God is, remember our first question, and what he's done, and who we are in light of that. Right? You are God's child, and God is pleased with you. Live your life from that truth. Right? Live your life from that abundance, that gift of God. God is gracious, so we don't have to prove ourselves, and we don't have to look elsewhere for acceptance or approval. Uh, Ray Ortland says it like this, God doesn't love the rehabilitated you, the ideal you that you ought to be, but the real you. Now loved, you can change. Right? God doesn't love the rehabilitated you or the ideal you that you think you should be. God loves the you that's here right now. And knowing that he loves us enables us to change from that spot, not from a place of negativity, not from a place of deficit, but from a place of abundance. Paul says in Romans 5, 8, God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. 
He didn't wait for us. He didn't wait for us to get cleaned up. He died for us as we are, as we were. He loves us as we are. And he loves us too much to leave us there, right? Can we all agree that where we were when we met Christ or where we are, it's not the ideal landing place for eternity, is it? Right? God is changing us. He's forming us into the image of his son. His grace changes our identity and it changes our trajectory, right? Who we are and where we're going. So let's walk in him, right? Let's walk in this new identity on that path. God is gracious and he's filled us in Christ, right? That's who he is. That's what he's done. We are in Christ, beloved children of God, and he is pleased with us. That's who we are. Right now, our last question, how then should we live? Let's go on in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. Therefore, as you received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Right, so let's walk in him, as the passage said. Let's look to him for our standard of acceptance and approval. Right? Paul tells us to be rooted and built up in him. Right? He's our source. Right, He's where our roots find nutrients, where our soul gets nourishment. He's our foundation. So let's start there. Right? Let's go there first before we look to others, before we even look to ourselves. And Paul says, from there, be built up in him. Right? Let's grow together. As, even as a church, right, let's remind one another of the gospel, of the truth, of who God is, of what he's done. Let's be people who just have those words on our hearts, on our lips, right, who we are and how we should live, right? And in that order, who God is, right, what he's done, and then who we are and how we should live, right? Not calling each other out without understanding why it is that we choose to change in the first place. Right? When we face temptation, we can say, God is gracious. I don't need to do this instead of, oh, I, I really shouldn't do this. Right? God is gracious. I don't need it. God has given to me abundantly. Right? I don't need to envy instead of, oh, I really shouldn't envy. Right? That's envy. Let's say, I don't need to worry instead of, oh, I shouldn't worry. Because God is bigger and better. Right? The gospel is not just the good news you needed when you weren't a Christian. It's the good news you need to live the Christian life. Yes. Let me say that again. The gospel is not just the good news that you needed when you weren't a Christian. It's the good news that you need to live the Christian life. Right? And lastly, Paul says we should be abounding in thanksgiving. Right? Isn't, isn't it this that inspires the next person to pay it forward, right, in the drive-through chain? That they're abounding, they're, they're thankful. Oh, somebody thought of me. Somebody paid for my coffee. I, I, yeah, I want to do that too. I want to do that too. Right? God's grace can touch even the most dark heart, right? And his grace should inspire thanksgiving. Right? Out of that should flow grace, mercy, patience, steadfast love Right from us, from him to us and from us to others. When we understand and receive grace, we give grace. 
right? Our own graciousness is, is a metric of sorts of our understanding and, and the grace that we've received from God. I remember uh, customer 379 at the Starbucks window, the one who broke that pay-it-forward chain. Uh, there was an article about this, and when they interviewed the barista who was there, that barista told the reporter that he doesn't believe that the final customer understood the pay-it-forward concept. Right, well, may it never be said of us, believers in Jesus, may it never be said of our church, I don't think they understood the grace concept. Right, if you sense yourself drifting into performance or criticism or anger, anxiety, go back to his word. Right? Go back to God's word. Go back to his character. Start again at the beginning. Who is God? What has he done? Who am I in light of that? Then how should I live? Right? The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love.